Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community, deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. I'm Monroe Chimklong. Ever since I can remember, church has always been a part of my life. Some of my earliest memories include scootering up and down these aisles as an angel on wheels at our annual pageant and coming up to light the chalice and being shadowed by the chancel that I'm now speaking from, or sitting in agony as I tried to keep silent during the solstice service. (laughs) Sundays, every Sunday, I'd come and watch my mom seamlessly parallel park, even on the days where the snow was up past my boots. This is still the same, and it's still amazing. More recently, I can remember the awkward uh, giggles in owl class, the massive support I received in coming of age, or the meaningful insights our advisors bring us each week to senior high group. Throughout all of this, I have always thought of church as a place of community, a place that when I walk into its doors, I am welcomed and affirmed into this group of people to which I owe so much of myself to. I always feel like I belong here, like I am accepted here. Now, just saying that out loud makes me think of how lucky I am to be in a place where I can feel as I do. However, I don't think it's just some passive thing about not being at school or work that brings me this bliss. In fact, I think it's something very active and alive throughout this church. Now, as you may have guessed, I am a high school student, and as I I try my best not to procrastinate, but I do end up doing some homework, and I study, and it's great and all that I understand all these great things that I've learned, but anyone can just buy a textbook from the library or more likely look something up on Google. But what we learn here in our church community is something much deeper than any of that. The thing that makes First U so welcoming to me is the soil upon which it was built as it cultivates this especially loving crop of people. As Unitarian Universalists, we do our best to build this spiritual community through our brave and bold kindness, which is rooted in our humanistic values. These values have always stuck with me. Actually, the things that I learn in church are the things I can never seem to forget, even without studying. Now, I wonder, why is this? Is there some secret conspiracy where they're like hypnotizing us or something? (laughs) Well, maybe, but what I believe is that when you are surrounded by a group of people, you start to become more like them. Think about it, when you're around a bunch of loud friends, you start to be loud too. Thus, in that same way, coming to First You my whole life has molded me into the caring and compassionate person I try to be. Looking back on my time here, my biggest takeaway from church is that when I'm in a place where I feel I can belong, I'm able to be the very best version of myself. This has inspired me to make sure that whenever I have the opportunity to invite and create a space where everyone feels that they can belong, I will strive for it unapologetically. Come, let us worship together. Our reading today comes from Yale Law School professor Stephen Carter. You may be familiar with him. He wrote a book some years ago. It was a big sensation called Reflections of an Affirmative Action Baby. This book that he wrote called The Culture of Disbelief 
how American law and politics trivialize religious devotion. In this book, he really asserts that our society as a whole encourages individuals not to take their religion seriously. And a quote from that is follows. In contemporary American culture, religions are more and more treated as just passing beliefs, almost as fads, rather than as the fundamentals upon which the devout build their lives. What this culture says is, if religions become inconvenient, give them up. If you can't remarry because you have the wrong religious belief, well, hey, believe something else. If you must go to work on the Sabbath, it's no big deal. It's just a day off. Pick a different one. If you can't have a blood transfusion because you think God forbids it, no problem. Get a new God. And though all of this trivializing rhetoric runs the subtle and unmistakable message, pray if you like, worship if you must, but whatever you do, do not on any account take your religion seriously. This attitude exerts pressure to treat religion as a hobby. I don't know about you, and I don't know when it began, but maybe you do. It began with a discontent, a gnawing in your soul, an out-of-placeness that made you say, to hell with it. Or perhaps it began with an unexplained, wild expansiveness that drove you to seek something new, to ask the next right question. Maybe it began with a friend, an acquaintance, a Jewish colleague, a Christian relative, a Muslim neighbor, a Buddhist technician in the dentist office, or an unchurched but very discerning and inquisitive and non-stopping, non a person who would not stop talking on the plane, who says to you, you know, you, you sound like a Unitarian Universalist. <laughs> Maybe it began with a member of First Universalists. Someone said to you, come to church with me. And something about the way they said it didn't intimidate you or make you feel like you were being unnecessarily or forcefully evangelized. They just said, come to church to, with me, and it appealed to you. It wasn't an intrusion. It was an invitation, a courtesy, and you found your way here to First Universalist. Or maybe you grew up in this church. Maybe your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents trusted this faith with their humanity and with their intellect enough to gift it to you as part of your inheritance. Maybe you search the interwebs. 
Maybe you answered a survey on BeliefNet. I still go to BeliefNet every year or so to see what I believe, answer all the questions. <laughs> Maybe you went to BeliefNet and, and got lucky and clicked the right words and clicked and filled in the right boxes and it says at the end of your Google exploration, it says you should probably be a Unitarian Universalist. No matter how you came here to this community, know that we have much to celebrate particularly this year. This is the 160th anniversary of the founding of this congregation. That's something to clap about. And no matter how you got here, we have 160 years of religion woven into the strands and the fabric that's inscribed on the walls in the paint that this is a place for free inquiry, for reassessment of the gospel, a place where there is no hell and universal salvation. A, tra a tradition that proclaims the good news and the inherent worth of every single person. Now from its founding meeting in October of 1859, which was chaired at that time by uh, new entrepreneurs in the flour and milling business, William Drew Washburn at First Universalist was part of the leadership that knew that this congregation out here on the frontier, despite, you know, all, we know all the history of the imperialism and manifest destiny came with them coming here from the East, but we knew that they were an effective force for progressive social values for that time. Washburn and other early members of this church guided the development of the region and helped found the Minneapolis institutions that we take for granted, like the public library. Universalists would help plan and build that. The school systems, the parks, the fire department, the Institute of Arts, Lakewood Cemetery, and the first settlement house. Thomas Lowry created the city's street railway system and Dorius Morrison was the first mayor of Minneapolis and also the first editor of the Star Tribune, all members of this church, and developers of the St. Anthony Falls water power and transportation projects were all members of this church, as well as many abolitionists and thinkers and writers and workers and laborers. The first two ministers of this church steered the congregation towards growth. And they, they pressed its members to give their wealth back to building a space instead of just renting space. And when they put the building together in 1866, a wooden Gothic structure was completed. And people around town called it the church with cushions in the pews and no hell. <laughs> cushions in the pews and no hell. The cushions are gone, sorry. <laughs> but there's still no hell. And you can read more about our history on our website. You can even go to the History Center. There are some amazing archives that I started to dive into that tell an amazing story about this particular congregation in the history of the Twin Cities. Now we have some serious history 
And we're still making serious history with all the initiatives and the task force and committees and ministries and circles and classes and community partners and justice creation work we are involved in. Ever been here on a Tuesday night? This place is humming. Every room is filled with a program, an activity, a discussion, a debate, services, people, gathering to be serious about some thoughts. But with all of our illustrious history and such amazing leadership that this church has had over the years up into our current amazing leadership that we're celebrating 10 years of in Justin Schroeder of his installation ordination here, do we take ourselves really seriously? Now, at one point in her novel, Marge Piercy, book Fly Away Home, she has a mother say to her daughters the following, the girls had been raised Unitarian Universalists, which seemed a nice sensible compromise between having no religion at all and having to lie about what we believe. <laughs> enough religion to be respectable, but not enough to get in the way. Chuckle, 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 you do. Yeah, it's funny, yes, but ouch. Ouch, that hurts. It hurts me, because I'm proud to be a Unitarian Universalist, and I strive to be serious about my own religious life. So it hurts a little bit to hear that. But whether we like it or not, this is precisely what many people from other traditions think of us. Now I blame Garrison Keillor for 50% of that. <laughs> I do. I used to chuckle, chuckle, chuckle. He's got the Lutheran jokes, but the UU jokes were particularly, there's something about the way he did those that I didn't like after a while. So I'm just going to remind you of a few of them. <laughs> what is a Unitarian Universalist? A way station between Methodism and the golf course. <laughs> chuckle, 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 yeah. What do you get, and this is what I love because I was a Jehovah's Witness, what do you get when you cross a Jehovah's Witness with a Unitarian Universalist? Someone who knocks on your door for no particular reason. <laughs> we laugh. We laugh. I used to laugh, but I'm not laughing anymore. I used to laugh when someone commented on how laid back and lax we Unitarian Universalists are about our religion. Not laughing anymore. I've stopped laughing because I realize how terribly important it is for me to take my religious life, my spiritual life, my ethical life seriously. Life Life's vast spiritual questions and pressing demands requires intent and deliberation and true intellectual engagement, not just a chuckle. I've stopped laughing because I believe with all my heart and soul that this troubled world seriously and desperately needs the rational compassion and saving message of Unitarian Universalism right now. I've stopped laughing 
because we can no longer allow ourselves to be marginalized, ridiculed, or dismissed as being not that significant. Unitarian Universalism will never realize its great potential and mission unless we are both in reputation and in reality serious about ourselves. Now we must begin by acknowledging that we you use are largely responsible for our reputation as lightweight and soft religion. It's, a, it's our fault. Too many of us have actually espoused the notion that one can believe anything and still be a Unitarian Universalist. We resist the strictures imposed by form and structure and embrace a laissez-faire kind of spirituality, a laissez-faire kind of religion that commands little respect in the world. Now there are people for whom Unitarian Universalism is little more than a casual convenience, an occasional hobby, a peripheral part of their life. Now this reality is driven home for me. I remember as a, as a young person in their 20s, in the 70s, at Arlington Street Church in Boston, I remember a, a guy, you know, says, oh, I love this place. It's just so interesting and colorful, and it's always great speakers. It's a nice thing to do instead of going to brunch. You know, it's the 70s. We all went to brunch. Remember? Yeah. Nice thing to do instead of going to brunch, come to hear something. But something new is stirring and happening in our movement. Gen Xers and Millennials and Generation Z are now coming to our churches more. And they're looking for a serious, spiritual, transforming, ethical religion. There is a hunger for Unitarian Universalism that gives and expects much. But as we try to respond to this demand for serious religion, we bump up against this casualness that has defined us in the past. Now, regrettably, many people used to be attracted to Unitarian Universalism because it seemed the religious path of least resistance. Particularly if you had a mixed marriage between a Catholic and a Methodist, and neither of them were observant in those traditions. The path of least resistance, Unitarian Universalism. I'll never forget what a man who came into my church in Chicago. First Unitarian Society, and he was following his wife into the church, and I was a DRE then, and he was having trouble understanding this new religion, but all he could hold on to was the fact that we had freedom. He was an angry ex-Roman Catholic, but we had freedom. That's what he loved about us, the freedom. That's all he talked about, how free we were, because we didn't impose dogma or moral absolutes on him. And he felt great to be liberated from that crusty old religious orthodoxy that had held him down, his spirit and his intellect for so long. But having been raised in a church where beliefs were imposed from above and not nurtured from within, he just never grasped how UU-ism is a real religion which continually challenge each of us as individuals to be careful and authentic and compassionate and responsible in our beliefs and how we live. 
Now, with more than a little sarcasm, this guy said, this religion is great, it's a piece of cake, it's a walk in the park. He would always say this Sunday after Sunday. And he would irritate me to no extent. Because I'm down here with these children trying to teach them about Unitarian Universalist principles, and he's upstairs thinking that this is just a cakewalk. He says, yeah, no confession boost, no eternal damnation or sin. I like this. I like this church. I can just lay back and do whatever I want to do. Well, it turned out this person was a, because he thought he could believe whatever he wanted to believe, turned out to be a very bad person and did some very bad things. He hurt people. He hurt children. But he thought he'd come here and just move on through the congregation because nobody's going to pay attention to him. No matter how hard our ministers try throughout our denomination to explain the demanding and disquieting lifelong journey it takes to be a serious person of faith, some people just don't get it. Like so many come-outers in our movement, this guy and others fixate on the freedom. Thank God, at last, a church where I don't have to pretend to believe all that stuff. I don't believe. But he missed altogether the haunting challenge and demanding tension written into the fourth UU principles. Ours is a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. And to be a UU is to spend a lifetime seeking reality and truth and to live in this world in an ethical and principled way. There is nothing casual or easy about it. In our hymnal, uh, Charles Magistro wrote, and I love this piece, he says, I am amused by the view that it's easy to be a Unitarian Universalist. He says, it's as easy to be a Unitarian Universalist as it is to be persistent, courageous, and curious. It's as easy to be a Unitarian Universalist as it is to search the murky waters of life without sure charts to guide us on our or guide us or any guarantee that we will find a safe port to put down anchor. It's as easy to be a Unitarian Universalist as it is to overcome the natural fear of the unknown and venture forth with nothing to sustain us, save our zest for living and hunger for new experience and knowledge. Our way in religion is not the way of ease. We are called to be sailors, for many worlds exist waiting to be discovered, and not the least of these worlds are within ourselves. It takes as much persistence, courage, and curiosity to look into our own depths, to come to terms with the twin mysteries of being alive and having to die, to see ourselves in new and larger ways without being dishonest about our limitations. Unitarian Universalism doesn't give us the freedom from religion. It gives us freedom for religion. And here's the great paradox of our faith, you know. Being a UU means searching for your own defining religious principles and then allowing yourself to be captured by them, captured by them, actively participating our free religion has an inescapable quality about it. 
The only choice involved is whether or not to take your energizing personal truths and principles serious enough to actually live them out on a daily basis. Now, I can walk by some houses in South Minneapolis and say, I think you, you lives there. Not because of the way the lawn's cut or the bushes are trimmed, but because of the signs on the door. I can think, I can guess, maybe not, maybe so. Maybe it's a Lutheran, maybe it's a Presbyterian, maybe it's a Methodist, maybe it's a Catholic, maybe it's a Muslim. But we can guess, maybe. But once you find your own spiritual and moral guidepost, you have no choice but to follow the path that your guideposts define. This faith tradition, which trusts the integrity and worth of each individual, sets you free not to see what you can casually dabble in on a Sunday, but so that you can become, as Stephen Carter puts it in his book, intoxicated by an authentic personal faith you can't help but live, serve, and cherish. Now, for some you use, this means choosing a particular demanding faith's position or stance, living life as a committed UU Christian or a UU Buddhist or a UU humanist or a UU neo-pagan. But for others, finding authentic religious path is more eclectic and individual. It's a process form of theology. It's, it's gradually evolving a working set of what you call authoritative beliefs the things that are non-negotiable as we had last year as a theme in our sermons, and the principles that you'll stand for. Now we know that a lot of you use came out of some conservative faith traditions. They came out hurt and angry about the spiritual damage and the abuse that they suffered at the hands of those people in their childhood. At first they used precious spiritual time and space and energy of them and others around them proclaiming everything they don't believe in. All the spiritual practices they no longer need. All the ethical restraints that refuse, they refuse to obey. All the forms and rituals they can't tolerate seeing ever again. This stage of declaring oneself free of old destructive religious belief is both necessary and understandable. Once first liberated oneself, when one's free to, of what you don't believe, before you begin to move towards a new, authentic, life-giving belief system, that's normal. But some you use get stuck spiritually by wallowing in negative rebellion from their religious past. Most sooner or later begin using that freedom, though, to come to being a UU that's discovering spiritual truths that work for them. They're finding ethical and moral principles that inform their daily choices, what they say at the school board meeting, what they say at city council, where they buy their food, who they pay, who they donate to. All those things are informing those principles, are informing those choices and informing your soul as well. Freedom, like the air we breathe, said the philosopher Santayana, is necessary for existence, but get this, but insufficient for nourishment. Freedom, 
necessary for existence, but insufficient for nourishment. You use are fond of saying, don't tell me what you believe, show me how you live. As one minister, I, I'll never forget seeing this sermon title years ago, he says, if being a Unitarian Universalist were against the law, imagine it. It's not too far from reality, given in this pre-fascist and fascist state that we're living in right now. Amen? Okay, what if it were against the law for us to be Unitarian Universalists? The question would be, is there enough evidence to convict you? Is there? Taking your Unitarian Universalism seriously means that your beliefs, principles, and values should be visibly present in your life. People around you should see your religion in all the big and little ways. Monroe had me cry in the first service when he did his call to worship. He is living his Unitarian Universalist faith in other settings that he is in, taking the lessons of this church into his high school into the groups he belongs to, in the teams that he participates in. He is taking these values and we can see it in him. We've got to do better. We've got to do better. Unlike the lackluster UUism of Marge Piercy describes very much, who thinks religion gets in the way, we need to let religion get in the way. It's not convenient to live by one's most dearly held principles. It's very inconvenient. Very inconvenient. I remember Father saying, you know, I'll do anything for you, but just don't inconvenience me, you know? It's inconvenient to be a Unitarian Universalist, particularly these days. There are many costs and sacrifices that are required because true religion limits tests it limits you, it tests you, it challenges you every single day. It's often anything but fun. For in this broken world of ours, it is hard to serve justice, difficult to work for peace and equality, and demanding to live compassionately. That is hard work. Truth is under assault. Facts are under assault. What are we going to do about it? The history, spirit, and principles of our UU faith clearly call upon us to grow bigger, louder, stronger, and more inclusive in our approach. Don't be intimidated, though. Be serious about your faith. And it means simply to strive to make a positive, principled difference right where you are in your little cluttered place in the world. So here's your homework. Articulate to yourself what you now believe as a Unitarian Universalist and know that it may evolve and change as you develop. Number two, remember beliefs and values, even though they change over the lifetime, have core foundations. Go and meet those foundations again and get to know them. Assess the ways in which you already live your Unitarian Universalism and tell somebody about it. Identify new ways in which you want to express your ethical commitments in the movements that you take throughout a given week. 
take the necessary steps to fulfill those commitments loudly and clearly. Why? Because vigorous, robust, Unitarian Universalism will make the change we need right now in this country and the change that we seek forever going forward in this world. That's it. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.